So just to introduce everyone, well, my name is Peter Schiffman. I'm the president of NAMI Staten Island. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Staten Island chapter. Thank you everyone for joining us for our informational presentation this evening about hearing voices. And we're very pleased to have with us Leah Rokiach, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and Joel Simons, who is a New York State peer specialist. I would like to start with a history of the Hearing Voices Network. And then I think Joel, he's like a role model for someone who hears voices and was able to move on and live the life he wants to live, which is really the theme of tonight's presentation. People who hear voices can live the life they want to live. So first, I want to thank you. And I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share with you what I have learned about how to help people with hearing voices. In my private practice, my specialty is focusing on people who are diagnosed with psychosis. But what's also very interesting that I was trained in 2011 and 2012. I was trained in the Hearing Voices Network to be a facilitator of hearing voices groups by someone who's a voice hearer. His name is Ron Coleman, and he's from Ireland, a Catholic man from Ireland who was in the hospital for many years because of his voices. And a nurse finally helped him to get out of the hospital. I'll tell you how he finally realized about his voices by attending a hearing voices group. So he manages, he trained, he studied, and he traveled all over the world, training people, how to live with the voices, train professionals, how to help people to cope with the voices. I would like to start now with the history of the hearing voices movement, because the hearing voices movement really revolutionized the whole approach to hearing voices, the way we think about voices, the way we help people with voices, how to cope with voices. They really brought a lot of changes that was very helpful to voice hearers. So how did it start? In the late 1980s, there was a, a psychiatrist in the Netherlands. His name was Marius Room. People came to him, heard voices or other symptoms. He just gave them the medication, never asked them about voices, what your voice is like, just gave them medication. Now, he had a patient. Patsy Haig was a very interesting young woman. She was hearing voices from the age of five after she was burnt in an accident. So her life was going down the hill as she grew up. She was depressed. She wasn't doing anything. She just heard a lot of voices. It was very distressful for her. By the age of 30, she managed to get to Marius Rome. And after a while, she decided to challenge Marius Rome. For some reason, she believed that voices have a meaning, that the voices are real. And she kept challenging him. Why don't you believe me? The voices are real. They have meaning to me. So Marius Rome agreed, okay. They decided to tell Patsy, okay, let's get on the radio. We'll get interviewed and let's invite voice hearers. So they got on the radio on an interview and they sent out invitation to people who hear voices. And they were totally surprised. 700 people responded to their invitation. They got 700 postcards. In those years, there was no email. So they got 700 postcards. Afterwards, 
as they were studying and reading the postcards, they realized something very important. They realized that out of the 700 people, close to 500 of people who heard voices but were not in treatment. They didn't take medication. They were managing to live their life without a medication. So what he decided to do, they decided to call a conference, a big conference, and they invited people to attend the conference. Over 300 people attended the conference. The name is Hesher. And at that conference, something very interesting developed. What they saw at that conference was that people became comfortable in talking about their voices. They didn't feel threatened. And they were able to discuss how they feel and what the voices are like. Just talk about what's going on. They also met people who were hearing voices, but they were able to live successful with the voices. So Dr. Hesher and Dr. Rome came to certain conclusions. First, they came to the conclusion that maybe hearing voices is not always an illness, that some people can live with voices without medication, without treatment. And those people that are having a difficult time coping with the voices, they can be helped. And there are ways to be helped by getting together and hearing voices groups, by accepting the reality of the voices. They allow these people to talk about the voice hearing experiences without being judged, without being told that they are safe, without fear. They opened up and discussed their experiences with hearing voices, their feelings, their fears, and their coping methods. This idea that people can get together and talk about their hearing voices, they can talk about their experiences, they can talk about their feelings, they can talk about their fears, this made a great impact on Marius Rome and Dr. Hesher. Sandra Hesher, she eventually became his wife. They decided to write articles, they decided to write books about it, and they did a lot of research about it, and they had many conferences, they met, and by 1991, the Hearing Voices movement became a very large movement, and many countries in Europe, at that time it started in Europe, before it came to the United States, many countries in Europe had conferences and meeting about the Hearing Voices movement. Now. Since its existence, it developed, as I said, and they did research and studied, and they did a lot of publishing of books. So what's such a novel idea? What is it that this Hearing Voices movement did to kind of revolutionize the whole way we help people with voices, the way voice hearers can help themselves? First of all, what they discovered, which is very, very important, that most people who hear voices have experienced some sort of childhood trauma or some childhood adverse experiences, something that might have happened during their childhood. And when they took a good history, this is what they discovered. And that's important because when somebody comes to a psychiatrist or comes to a therapist, it's very important to find out what went on when they were younger because there is a connection. There are some scientists, there are psychologists who have done research, who believe that hearing voices is a result of the various symptoms. I say there's a connection, there's a relationship between early childhood adverse experiences, between early childhood trauma with a big T, trauma with a small T, they're related to the development of the hearing voices. So that's one thing they came up with. 
The other thing that they came up with is to accept the voices. So what does it mean, accept the voices? Accept the voices means accepting the reality of the voice for the voice hearer. It means that to become more interested in the different aspects of the experience and be more curious about the relationship between the voice hearer and about the hearer's life. Because voice hearing as a personal experience, I want to give you an example about a young woman who was suffering from depression. She was depressed and she was anxious and she wasn't doing too much. And she was not taking care of herself. Her personal grooming was a mess. And she heard the voices. The voices were very threatening. You know, voices can be very threatening, which is very scary. So she avoided doing anything, just staying in the house. Somehow she managed to get to a psychiatrist who referred her to a therapist. And the therapist started to work with her. And this young lady told the therapist that the voices keep telling her, oh, you look terrible. You're a witch. You look ugly. It's horrible. So the therapist told her very nice and gently, you know what? How about looking in the mirror? Look at yourself in the mirror. So when she really looked herself in the mirror, she said, wow, the voices are right. I really look a mess. I really have to start taking care of myself. So this is a nice story. It doesn't mean that it always happens because voices do have meaning, but we have to kind of discover what the meaning is. They come a metaphor sometimes. We don't know what they're saying. We have to really find out what exactly do the voices mean. So that's what Marius Rome and Sandra Escher taught people how to accept the voices really by learning about them and not to be afraid of them. And just be curious, what's going on with me? Why am I hearing the voices? What happened in my life might have made me have the voices? The other thing was that there are people who hear voices but don't need treatment, which I said before, because they are living well or can help themselves. Based on that, Dr. Rome and Sandra Escher also believe that maybe hearing voices is not really a disability. It's not an illness. Because a lot of people can manage with hearing voices and going with their lives. However, I don't think many people can do that. But there are people who can do it. And this is what they believe, that maybe it's not an illness. The way I look at it, when I meet someone who hears voices, I don't like to tell them you're sick. I don't like to tell them you have a psychiatric illness or a psychiatric disability. But I like to tell them, listen. You have this problem. We human beings all have problems. So let's see what we can do to help you with this problem so you can manage with your voices. By the way, just want to mention that from my experience, which is over 35 years, medication does help somewhat. It can quiet the voices a little bit for some more, for some less. However, it does not eradicate or eliminate the voices. That's the problem, that people can be on medication, but they can still hear the voices. The hearing voices movement, their approach is not to eradicate the voices either. They know they cannot eliminate them. They only want to have the people learn how to cope and how to deal, how to manage with the voices so they can live the life they want to. I think that one of the most important results of the Hearing Voices Movement is the creation of the Hearing Voices Group, which is called Hearing Voices Network. Now, you can look up in New York, 
you can Google Hearing Voices Network in New York City, for example. I happen to be one of the people who developed the Hearing Voices Network in New York City or Hearing Voices Network in USA, where you can find a lot of Hearing Voices groups. So why is that such a great approach to recovery? One of the articles I wrote about a year and a half ago was that Hearing Voices Group, an approach to recovery. Why is that so wonderful? Why is that so great? In a Hearing Voices Group, people are accepted. People are respected. That's the conditions of the group. People are respectful to each other. People are not judged. People are not criticized. Everybody feels free to just talk. The word is talk. To talk about whatever they feel like talking about their voices. What is their experience? What's happening to them? They share ideas. They learn from each other. They learn coping methods from each other. It's a wonderful place where people really can move on and grow. And usually the best way to facilitate a hearing voices group is by two voice hearers. I was facilitating two hearing voices groups until before the pandemic for about six years. I had one for men and one for women, but that's because I live in an Orthodox community and I couldn't have co-ed groups. I had a voice hearer with me all the time, so we both facilitated the groups. And it's really a wonderful experience for them. You know, they feel free. They feel free to talk about the experiences with hearing voices. They share, as I said, they learn from each other. They teach each other. They teach each other various coping methods. You know, there's a lot of coping methods out there if people want to do research. This is, by the way, also very empowering. This also helps their self-esteem because in a hearing voices group, they also learn how to be in control of the voices. Most of the time, when you meet someone who hears voices for the first time, they're terrified because they claim the voices are controlling their lives. They're not in charge. The voices are in charge. So when people learn the methods and the skills and the interventions, how to cope with the voices and how to see the voices are not dangerous, the voices can never hurt them, the voice here himself or herself is empowered and control. This is extremely empowering and this is really improves the self-esteem of the person because usually the self-esteem is very down. People feel very down by themselves when they hear the voices and they hear sometimes terrible things from the voices. Now in a group, people also encourage each other. They encourage each other to move on, do things, they encourage each other to do whatever it takes so they can start to move towards a life that they want to live. With the voices, by the way. Always remember that this is living with the voices. How to move on with the life because they're in control of the voices and the voices will not control them. They also have hearing voices on Zoom all over. I hope that this information about the Hearing Voices Network has been helpful. If anyone is interested for more information, they can always email me. My email address is my name, Leah, L-E-A-H-R-O-K-E-A-C-H, at gmail.com.
And for the families who are listening to this, if you have a loved one who hears voices, please remember there's help out there. Please remember they can get the help they need. They can get the help so they can move on, how to deal and how to cope with the voices. If you can Google Hearing Voices USA, you can gather a lot of tips and a lot of skills, how people can help themselves with the voices and how to live with the voices, a life they want to live. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be able to share with you what I learned about hearing voices. That sounds like a tremendous resource for people that need it. I have a quick question. Often in NAMI Staten Island circles, we come across family members who have concerns that their loved one may hear voices, but it's usually also with another issue, perhaps they're not functioning because they were on medication or maybe discontinued the medication. So my question would be, granted there are people that can learn to cope and live without medication. But if somebody was on medication and they attended a hearing voices group, I just want to make sure there is no way that is discouraged. There are some groups that are seen as perhaps anti-psychiatry. That's my question. So my answer to you is that I'm not anti-medication in my groups in general and my private practice. All the people who attended my groups, for example, they're all on medication. What happens is that somebody really is doing much better. By that, I mean they can hear voices and they're able to get a job, let's say, or go back to school or do something. Sometimes the psychiatrist will lower the medication. But I think that people have a mistake a little bit because they all say the hearing voices group is anti-medication. They claim that people can live without the medication. They can learn how to cope. But when I think it's necessary to check with a psychiatrist. Like for example, I had a client who really had the negative symptoms of schizophrenia, but he heard voices. Before I met him, he had command voices that told him to jump. He wasn't in any kind of treatment, and he jumped. Thank God nothing happened seriously to him. But when he was discharged from the hospital, he was put on a very high dosage of Clozerol. I don't know if you're familiar with Clozerol. Very, very high dosage to the point that he was really like sleepy all the time. He couldn't do anything with him. And the residents where he was living, they were afraid to call the psychiatrist to lower medication. They were afraid if it's not going to jump again. So he joined my group. It was the mother who told me he needs to have lower clauses so he can learn something. He can be part of something. And that's when the psychiatrist agreed, yes, let's lower a little bit. Let's see, as long as it's being monitored, it's being watched. Another thing in the Hearing Voices group, we talk about them. What are the things that can make us suddenly hear the voices? What are the situations that can come up, get us so upset or so angry? So we talk about how to help ourselves, when to get help, when to call someone. That's very important, especially for people who have command voices. But even with command voices, if someone knows how to help someone using CBTP, 
cognitive behavior therapy for psychosis, or somebody really knows how to use it, then it really helps some of the command voices also. We have all kinds of thoughts, but we don't have to act on our thoughts. How do we have to hear the voices, but we don't have to act on the voices? I don't know if that answered your question because you're right. I think that probably more than 50% of the hearing voices group probably are, you know, anti-medications. I probably am not too familiar with people that cope and manage without medications because families in crisis wouldn't have contacted NAMI, but I get that. I approach it with an open mind and it really sounds beneficial for people with similar issues to, to be able to open up about that. Right. I just want to tell you something. That I also haven't met people who hear voices that are not on medications. Most of my clients in the private practice and the group, they were all on medication. As I said, sometimes when they're doing well, the psychiatrist will maybe lower the medications. But I don't know people who are not on medication. You know, there's a wonderful book, The 50 Stories of Recovery. But it doesn't mean that everyone can do this, you know. Somehow they manage, but not everybody can do it. I don't take that responsibility. I'm afraid of that, my opinion. I took out of the hearing voices movement what I felt was safe and helpful to those people who hear the voices. Makes sense. I appreciate that. And I know that before people chatted it in, I figured I would ask. So thank you very much. So Joel Simons, Joel, you are a, a voice hearer. Am I correct? Yes. I've been hearing voices for about 40 years, since I was in my 20s. And interestingly enough, I disclosed I was hearing voices to my psychiatrist about 10 years ago. So that's 30 years of hearing voices without telling anybody about it. And I don't think that's so unusual or uncommon. But for me, it's an enigma because I haven't been able in my life in the past 30 years to achieve some successes. And among them, I've been married for over 27 years to a wonderful woman. And she's not a voice hearer, but she has a mental health diagnosis. So, And I've been working as a peer specialist for 20 years, about 15 years full time. So I do have successes in my life despite the voices. And we want to talk about that, but first, First, I want to say that one thing I've learned in the groups we did, I work at two outpatient clinics in Brooklyn, and we've done three hearing voices groups. We call the groups Your Voices Heard, and I work with about 50 people in those groups. And one thing I learned from that experience with those groups is that everybody is different. Everybody's experience is different. What they experience is different, and how they cope with it is different. So... When you're talking about medication, I would say medication is an important part of my recovery, very important part of my recovery, an essential part of my recovery, but I don't want to talk too much in detail about it because I don't think people should get the idea that what I'm taking in terms of medication could help their loved one or help them if they hear voices. And So I'm not going to go into detail about that because I don't want people to think that because it works for me. It'll work for anybody else. It's, everyone's different, like I said. I would like to share some strategies I've learned by hearing voices, and in a general way, I think people can learn from it. 
My sister Susan is a PhD in psychology and a therapist on the West Coast. We once had a reunion in New York. She came all the way out here to see me and my wife with uh, my sister and my brother and my father who was living at that time. My sister gave me some advice about voices. She said, when you hear a voice, put it into the voice of your favorite comedian. So I said, oh, okay, let me try that. (laughs) I said, if I'm hearing a voice that said to me, uh, you are not acting like the real you, you should find out who you really are. All right, so I put that voice into the voice of one of my favorite comedians, Jackie Mason. Remember Jackie Mason? He would say, uh, I need to find my real self. I need a partner. <laughs> and, and when I did that, I laughed. And my sister explained to me, when you laugh, the frontal lobe of the brain is in control. When you're hearing voices, negative voices, that is, because some people hear good voices. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. But when you're hearing negative voices, like when I hear negative voices, there's a part of my brain, my sister explained to me, that takes over from the frontal lobe. And when I laugh, the frontal lobe is in control. So then I feel good again. When you're laughing, you don't hear voices. When you're in a very good mood and happy, or at least for me, I don't hear voices. So that was a good strategy she taught me. But that's only one. There's countless strategies, really, that I've used to deal with voices. And my voices are negative voices. My voices are usually, uh, I don't want to repeat, in polite company, (laughs) what these voices say to me. My psychologist at Maybelline Clinic, her name's Dr. Bella Proskrov. I've been working with her for 10 years. And she told me that I have a negative self-view, and that leads to negative thinking, which leads to voices that are negative. So my uh, take on that is, you know what? Yeah, I study about this in my studies, in my religious studies, about how the brain is you know, something we can control. We can control what we think about, or we can change the channel, so to speak, if we're thinking about something negative. And uh, one of the images in the, my favorite religious book that I always try to learn every day, it says that when you get a negative thought, your brain should push it away with both hands, as if the brain had physical hands to do that. So that's a very interesting idea that you can, say, change a channel and then switch to something positive and then take it from there, and you'll find out that negativity subsides. Now, it's not true for everyone. Some people have a clinical issue with negative thinking, and I don't want... Again, I'm saying everyone's different. I don't want to say that'll work for everybody because some people cannot help their negative thought, and it gets quite severe. We had a person in the group talking about command voices. We had a woman who had lost her father, and the father was calling to her saying, come join me, come join me. And her husband and her son were scared and telling her, don't listen to that voice. And of course, they put her on a suicide watch at uh, the clinic where I work. And she was in my group, and she told us this, and I was quite affected by this. It made me really wonder how I could help this person. So what I did was we started reserving the last 15 minutes of our group for playing music on the computer for people. They could pick any song they want. So I asked her, what would you like to hear? And it was about uh, holiday time, and I suggested, how about a Christmas song? Now, I'm Jewish, and I don't celebrate Christmas, but I thought maybe she would want to hear she said her favorite singer was Luther Vandross. So I thought, great, we'll get Luther Vandross singing a Christmas song. 
and it was so smooth and uh, she really really loved it and I could see her calming down as we play that song and so that's what it is people have their own way of coping and it's unique for every individual and songs work sometimes poetry works sometimes medication works sometimes and when I disclosed 10 years ago my psychiatrist I was hearing voices she put me on a new medication I'm not going to say what that medication was because People start thinking, oh, maybe that worked for me or for my loved one. And it's probably not true. It's like I say, you know, you can't extrapolate like that. But the new medication did help me. That was about 10 years ago. And in the meantime, I've learned to use coping skills. Perseverance is one of the most important ones. I'm hearing a negative voice that's calling me a name. And I just pretend it's not even there. I just go ahead and do what I got to do. And that seems to work. That seems to make the voice subside after a while. But I'll tell you the truth. Um, even though I've achieved success in my life as a voice hearer, sometimes it does get very difficult when I get into an, a depressed or anxious state of mind and the voices are very strong. It can, uh, it can shut me down a little bit. It can make me want to just go to my room and lie down. But my wife is here and my wife, I can tell her, you know, if I'm hearing voices and tell her, I, I'll ask, I'm not a bad person. I'm like, oh, no, no, you're a wonderful person. <laughs> and, you know, that uh, that's invaluable. That's something like that. There are people who don't have that, though. You know, one of the people in the group, young Russian man who had trauma, just like Mr. Kek said, he was in Rikers Island for committing a misdemeanor. And he was a very, very personable, gentle young man. And I could see that that experience really affected him very much and he lived along with his father and he heard AH auditory hallucinations and he told us that about six out of ten times what he was hearing was really there but he was very sensitive to it and four times out of ten it was not there and he would hear like children crying or people yelling or police sirens and then because he lived along with his father he developed a problem because his father was not the most open-minded person in the world about mental illness. And he felt compelled to tell his father what he was experiencing. And the father didn't like it. He said, why are you telling me this? He get mad at him. So we worked with this person for a while to get him to stop feeling like he had to tell his father about these experiences all the time. And when he mentioned to me he was very experienced in retail, I found a job for him. Not a hard thing to do. I knew of a vocational program. And he got involved with that. And the last time I saw him, he was doing great. Now, not everybody in the group, I can say, was that successful. Some people were hearing voices while they were in the group. Some people had to go to the hospital. A lot of young people, for example, young, very young people I was working with who were very, very in distress because of voices. One young lady heard a voice when she was in the group with us. She wanted to start a business, and the voice told her to make a deal with me and my co-facilitator, which was kind of funny, but we we talked to her about it in the group, and we realized that, isn't that something? She's hearing a voice while she's in the group for hearing voices. I don't know how she's doing now. I lost touch with some of the people I worked with, but I hope she's, she's doing better. And just in defined terms about hearing voices, we call it, we don't call it a symptom, as Mr. Kayak was careful to point out. We call it an experience because there are people without 
any medical diagnosis who will hear voices. And I can give you an example. The famous actor, British actor, Anthony Hopkins. I'm sure you remember him. I never saw that movie where he plays a cannibal. I'm glad I never saw that movie, but probably a very scary movie. But Anthony Hopkins reported he was once on stage and a voice, a very distinct loud voice, and it said to him, you think you can do Shakespeare? You can't do Shakespeare. And Anthony Hopkins, as well known, does not have any mental health diagnosis. So you see, he can prove that from something like that, that it's not a symptom, it's an experience. And the advertisement for this event we're having tonight said right away that one out of 10 people hear voices. That means a lot of people without minor health problems are hearing voices in the world. So that's not really about myself so much, but about the people I've worked with and the things I've learned over the years. I was just commenting on your accomplishments and your resilience. Many of our families would would hope and wish their loved ones could achieve that as well. Uh, Of course, it's understood everybody's path is different. It does set an example and give a lot of hope. Yeah, I think that's very important that families have some hope. It's true, not everyone can achieve this, but we cannot give up trying. So that's why I say if families do have someone at home, a loved one who hears voices, who's really struggling, it really pays to find a hearing voices group that might might accomplish something, you know? Sure. So that's why I say not to give up, hope to just keep on trying. Absolutely. We have a question from Linda Wilson. And the question is, how can we start a hearing voices group on Staten Island? The best way to start it is first to have someone, either a clinician together, maybe with a voice here, but someone who is willing and knows, first of all, knows how to facilitate a hearing voices group. That's very important. You just cannot have a group without someone not being trained as a facilitator. Mm -hmm. But you can get help for that. I've helped people start group if you're interested in, in getting in touch with me, but you need one person or two who'd be interested. Then they have to write up something about what the Hearing Voices group is all about, what it does, how it can be helpful. So I have, for example, copies of such letters that I emailed. And once you have a letter that really explains what it is, how it can help someone, and give some examples, but this can be sent out by email. But before that, you have to do a lot of legwork. How are you going to do it? Are you going to do it on Zoom? Are you going to do it in person? Then you have to find a place where to meet on person. I'm not sure whether now people are very interested in meeting in person because of how things are happening. I was just telling Pete that I tested positive for the second time for COVID, and it wasn't as easy as they claim it is. But it can be done on Zoom also. As I said, you need one person or two to take this responsibility to do the research, and they need the help. They can either get the help from the Hearing Voices USA. They can get the help like someone like myself, how they can start. I can get them in contact with other facilitators, and, you know, that's how you start. You also have to know that a Hearing Voices group is not like a therapy group. A therapy group, you have to register, you have to write on the names, and maybe charge something. 
Hearing Voices group, we really don't charge. It's open. It's an open group. People can come once or twice. They might not come the third time. Not to be discouraged. Maybe the first time only one person comes. But once you can get this started, it can really be successful. The Hearing Voices group also, the facilitators are really volunteers. You know, we had one person who was an intern who didn't hear voices, but was very, very empathetic and young person that helped too. And then I was a voice hearer who gave insight to the group. It works well that way, yeah. Sometimes if you have two voice hearers who have gone through the training and know what to do, that's even better. Sure, definitely. There's always trainings going on, by the way. All people have to do is look at the Hearing Voices Network USA, Hearing Voices USA, or even the Hearing Voices New York City. They might have trainings. Okay. We can definitely take a look at that. Like I told you that after 30 years of Hearing Voices, I finally disclosed to a doctor I've been working with for like at least 10 years. I think this is a big problem with denial in voice hearers' experiences. People don't want to disclose for fear of if they're not on medication, they'll be put on medication, or if they are on medication, they'll be put in the hospital. But, you know, when you have a broken leg, you're going to tell somebody <laughs> you're in such pain. But it's a funny thing about mental illness that you could be close to a breakdown. You don't want to tell a soul because of stigma and because you're just ashamed. Right. And that's a big problem. Yes, to, to suffer quietly and feel there's no one you can confide in, it has to be a terrible burden. That's right. That's where the hearing voices can be very helpful because they're not alone. When someone is suffering with the voices, they isolate themselves and they don't want to do anything because they're afraid. Just the feeling they're not alone, they can share it with others. That in itself is very helpful. They realize they're not the only ones. And that's why you are not alone is also a tagline for NAMI because it's the same principle. Right. NAMI has some wonderful groups. I know. Well, I thank you both very much for taking the time out to do this this evening. And it's a perspective I think more people need to know and be educated about. If people have access to internet, it's really available. And it's fascinating to see. Well, I thank you, and I thank everybody who tuned in for the webinar. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share all this with you. Thank you so much. Something I've been looking forward to for the past two months. I, I really live for things like this. It makes me feel good. Okay, thank you. Thank you again, and good night. Thank you.